And welcome to the Triple P. Randy Basra, Matthew Evans, keeping you company. This is another interesting session, Randy. Who do we have across the table? Hey, Matt. Today we've got Glenn Johnston. He's the Procurement Sustainability Director at New South Wales Transport. He's also the New South Wales Chair of SIPS. The Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply, yeah? Yeah, that's correct. All right, and what are we going to be talking about today, Randy? Uh, we're going to talk about three or four different things with Glenn. Uh, one of them is social procurement. One of them is sustainable procurement. We're going to talk about his uh, background within procurement and how he got to where he is now. We're also going to talk about the education side of procurement and how he's trying to help with that. Fantastic. He's got he's got a very very long and illustrious career, which uh, which does take a bit of time to get through. We didn't get through the entire thing today during the pod, just so you know. Um, we tried to speed up and cover as much ground as we possibly could. We did miss out a few things, um, but if you're interested, uh, this is going to be quite an interesting one for you to learn about. Yeah. So, and especially with with you, Matt, you're you're quite keen and um, you're quite passionate about the social procurement side of things. Um, how does that all link into this? Randy, I just think it's overlooked, right? So we talk about social procurement and, and it kind of becomes a bit of, you know, procurement's supposed to be about saving money and, and, and that's really what the core function is, right? But social procurement's really interesting because I see procurement as a for good function mm-hmm. and that's something that I can, I can get pretty passionate about. Yep. I'll give you a quick example. So let's say that you are, you're the procurement manager, right? And your company, just like our company, there's 200 people on this floor, uh, and everyone needs a desk. Okay. So instead of deciding that you're going to go and get the cheapest one from China, which is made with who knows what, under which conditions, who knows what, let's just say that you decided that you were going to run a Australian uh, sustainable project. So you want to go out and get desks, but you don't want to get them from somewhere that you don't know about the safety of the supply chain. So we decided to run it here in Australia, and we go and identify a few people who can possibly do that for us. And the knock-on effects then are what become really interesting, because let's say I come to you and I say, hey, I need 200 desks, please, Um, and you go, great. And then what you do is you go back and you upgrade your labor force. So maybe you bring on an extra five people, and maybe two of those people, because us as procurement have asked you to, maybe two of those people come from a previously disadvantaged community. Um, maybe they're indigenous Australian or first people, right? And we don't really know the knock-on effect, but let's run it through. So we bring in two extra people who come from a previously disadvantaged community. Those people didn't have a job. They now have a job. So we now take them out of the, the doll pool, as you would call it, mm-hmm. the Centrelink line or whatever the case is, and those two people have a family. So suddenly you're impacting eight people, right? What we're also doing is we're procuring sustainable wood. Maybe it's wood from the bushfires. Okay. Right, So we're creating for good because we're getting people to work. We're taking a little bit of pressure off of the taxpayer. We're supporting Australian families. And maybe, just maybe, we're, we're also doing our bit to clean up after the wildfires. All of that from a decision from procurement just to decide to buy something differently. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? And, um, you know, and you, I think you're here within this next 25 minutes of a, of a discussion with Glenn. Um, his passion for that and how he's making a huge impact with that. I'm in. Let's go. Matthew Evans. Randy Basra. How are you today? Very good. Who do we have on the couch? We have uh, a very special guest of ours, a friend of Randstad and uh, a friend of everyone in procurement. Um, do you want to give the, the big intro, Matt? The big intro? So the criteria are interesting, making a difference, having some value from 
buying pencils to creating a, a real social change in the world and talking about issues that really matter. Today, Glenn Johnston, love you to tell us a little bit about your story. Good on you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Randy. Um, my procurement uh, career started in the, uh, the late 80s, um, pretty much straight from high school, went into a big corporation because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. There for a couple of months, uh, was asked to cover for the purchasing officer who was going on long service leave. Um, and so the, uh, the head office accountant came up and said, can you cover that role? And I said, what does it do? He goes, I'm not sure. I think he buys <laughs> pens and pencils. Yeah. Uh, so I was quite confident I could uh, do that. Uh, so I um, sat with the fellow for a couple of weeks, uh, learned what he did, uh, realised it was a bit more than just buying pens and pencils, but I took that role on and did that for about four months while he was on long service leave. Uh, when he came back, uh, the role was then created for me to keep me there uh, as a purchasing clerk. Yeah. Um, and stayed there for a couple of years and then um, wanted to grow. Um, so my next role was with uh, Pizza Hut. Uh, so most people know of that, uh, that brand, but that was in the... Um, the halcyon days when home delivery units uh, were being built across the country. Yeah. Um, there was over 200 that I was um, involved in um, at the time. So that was buying cars, buying uh, pizza ovens, um, all the, the fit out and the kit that goes with those units, as well as our, our normal restaurant business. So it was a, a massive um, learning growth for me to, to be involved in that activity, going from a very staid uh, environment of uh, John Fairfax, which is a, a major publisher of newspapers and magazines in the day, uh, into that real buzz, uh, home delivery, fast food um, environment. So buying cars as well, that, that's something that I didn't expect. You know, when you, when you think about pizza, you're just thinking food, right? And you're probably, I, I thought you're procuring or, or purchasing cardboard boxes or ingredients. I mean, now you're talking about cars for delivery, Matt? Can I just, like, completely off topic here, right? We're in 2020. We're talking about the, the 90s, right? Yeah. And today we're talking about home delivery disruptors across the entire world, Uber Eats, all the rest of these guys coming in and do this stuff. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up. So you're buying just about everything under the sun for Pizza Hut. They're starting up here. It's, it's an exciting time, something new and different from you. Yeah. Then what happens? Uh, then I just, uh, I guess, looking for different um, challenges. Hmm. Um, Whilst that was a fast-paced environment, it, it certainly takes its toll, uh, but I wanted to grow, and I, I felt I, I couldn't um, from a career progressive point of view, uh, so then looked for my, my next opportunity, and, uh, and that was with uh, Master Foods brands. Okay. Um, they have the Canton, Dolmio, uh, and the Master Foods Herb and Spice. Yeah, it seems uh, like a, a straight transition, really, right? You know, you, you think from... You, you would think, yeah. um, from one large American company to another. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as I found out, Master Foods owned by the other Mars family. Yep. So the largest uh, privately owned uh, company in the world. Um, they're that big, they don't have to declare any of their turnover, so they're quite secret. Um, but their class is uh, probably the most um, wealthiest family in the world. Um, Along with the Waltons. Possibly, yeah. Um, so went into there for a few years and uh, worked through that operation where we were based near Botany. Okay. But then we relocated up to the Central Coast uh, because it was a uh, philosophy of uh, the Mars uh, group that they wanted to have operations outside of metro areas. Um, and so the operation they had in, in Sydney was the only one in, in the world that was within uh, our metropolitan area. So that had to be changed. So we relocated to the Central Coast. 
Does that also make it cheaper as well, though? Right? I mean, realistically, uh, if you're if you're on the outskirts rather than in the metro, it's probably cheaper for you to, to there's, house there. There's aspects cheaper land, cheaper rent yeah. potentially, uh, but then you've got more logistics costs, mm, getting okay. the raw materials in and out. Uh, so that has to be balanced. But what it also does, and that's the philosophy of, or one of the philosophies of Mars, is that, that it, it captures their workforce because you're, you're working for a large. Uh, operation within a regional area, there's not much choice, so you tend to stay, you, you tend to stick. People relocate um, to those regional areas. I didn't uh, relocate. I um, had uh, you know, the wife and a, a young child at the time. I didn't want to uproot that, and so I gave myself uh, 12 months of travelling from Western Sydney to the Central Coast and back, um, and that took its toll uh, as well because you're travelling uh, 90 kilometres each yeah. way each day. Uh, and Mars have a quirky little thing where they have a good timekeeping bonus. It happens for every one of their associates. They call them associates. Every employee, if you're there ready to work and you clock on, you get 10% of that day's pay as a bonus. So they call it a good timekeeping bonus, which is great if you yeah, live right. five minutes away from the factory. Not so good if you're an hour and a half away yeah. and you're, you're subject to the traffic jams. So that became a little bit frustrating when you'd miss out on that by two minutes. You'd yeah. miss out on your daily bonus. Um, but yes, I worked through there, and that was a real dynamic uh, growth uh, area as well, or time, uh, really pushing through the brands and the, uh, the penetration of those brands into the marketplace. But a great learning curve uh, for me was that, as I said before, everyone is called an associate. Uh, we all wear the, uh, the factory uniforms, um, even though we're sitting in an office environment. Um, mm. No one has an office. Uh, the general manager and uh, his reports or her reports sit in the open office, um, in a, what they call a circle, and everyone just works in that one big open office. So it was a, a culturally a, a big change yeah. as well, going from um, you know, the office-type environment. We're talking companies, but by this point, how long have you been in procurement? Uh, about eight or nine years. And what's kept you in procurement? Yeah, and I guess that's... I didn't realise at the time, but procurement, in my mind, is a problem solver. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we, we spend a lot of money on goods and services... But at the end of the day, it's not our money. It's often someone else's money within their organisation. They have the budget for that spend. We just enable it or facilitate it. Um, so I really, I guess probably 10 or 12 years ago, clicked on that we actually solve problems. Our budget holders come to us with yep. uh, a need to either drive costs down, increase quality, secure the supply chain. You know, it can be a whole raft of uh, aspects that they want to enhance or get better at. We help them do that by scouring you know, the marketplace to find better partners to, to work with. And from Mars, your career just scaled up. Give us a quick hit list of, 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 of where you went from there. Yeah, I've had a number of um, industry changes, and, and one of the things I always do when I look for a new opportunity is I don't go into the same industry. Is procurement something that you can do across industries? It is. It, and I've proven that personally, and I've seen that in other uh, people's careers as well. It is a transferable Mm. Um, skill set. It's about relationships. As I said before, it's about you know, having that desire to solve problems, to identify problems and, and solve them and help uh, facilitate that and and delivering some real tangible outcomes as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. You, you did a stint in Perpetual as well, um, which is you know in our building, as we just talked about. Yep. Um, what was the differences between working for... You know, they're, they're a huge organisation, um, but in a different category completely, right? Yeah, so that was financial services. Yeah. So again, uh, jumped into that. And when I 
researched that role, it was the first time they had a head of procurement in Perpetual. Perpetual is one of the oldest companies in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're known as a, uh, an asset manager and wealth uh, builder. Um, spent a couple hundred million dollars on goods and services, but they had no one person responsible for that. So their board decided that that was a risk they needed to address. The CFO was asked to address that, and um, so the CFO created the, the head of procurement role, which I went into. So nice to be part of a, an inaugural yeah. role uh, of you know, one of the oldest companies in Australia. And it has a great brand. It's, it's a blue-chip company. Uh, people see that. You know, we have naming rights on the building that we're in now, yes. so people look at it and they go, yeah, Perpetual must own that building. Little do they know we pay for those rights, but it has that appearance that on the surface it's very polished. Now, of course, when you go behind you know, the wall of most organisations, you realise that not everything is perfect. Um, and I found that with procurement. There was uh, a lot of people doing a lot of um, behaviour that I wasn't happy with. Um, so there was a lot of um, discussions I had to have with you know, senior managers. Either the senior managers or their people were, were not buying properly. So there was a, a big education uh, program in place. Awareness was built. And at the time... Uh, Perpetual were uh, developing and launching their Reconciliation Action Plan. So there was an opportunity for me to embed one of my passions, uh, and that is um, Indigenous business development. So I was able to bring some Indigenous businesses on through our wrap, uh, but then to provide goods and services. So from there we moved on to to one of the biggest procurement portfolios in, in, in the country. Right, um, which is really interesting, but I don't want to spend time on that. Yep. What I wanted to ask you, just while we're on the point, before we move on, is I'm 18, I'm 21, whatever the case is, I've just finished up my degree, and and I'm asking myself, all right, I'm, I'm, what is this procurement thing? How do I, what is it all about? Yeah, we have a, a real issue with procurement and, and its identity. People can hear about it, but they don't really know. It's not ingrained like Sounds the traditional, like, yeah, accounting-ish and boring, yeah. and yeah, and it's not their traditional, you know, law or marketing or sales or, you know, or accounting uh, type roles, which people are generally familiar with. But procurement is uh, about the acquisition of goods and services. That in itself sounds boring, um, but every organisation that exists needs to have an inflow of goods and services to be able to operate and continue operating. It's a cost uh, to that business, it's an expense. Um, So what one of procurement's uh, requirements is to try to drive the cost down or create value, uh, which is another way of looking at it. So procurement has that as its core function is to to acquire goods and services that are are needed. And having played in that space for a long time, I I still see the need for that. But as I've uh, matured through my career, I've realised that procurement has a, a much greater opportunity to have a bigger impact uh, beyond just delivering lower price goods and services. Uh, and that, to me, is, is what um, social procurement is about. Can I, can I flip the script a little bit? So we know you, and, and let's contextualise for everyone out there. Um, if you are you know, young in your career or, or, or thinking about change or, or looking at your options, if you're sitting in finance or sales or, or you're sitting in logistics or engineering or law, if you were a sales professional and we looked at your career over the last 30 years, 20 years, whatever it might be, there's very few people who are going to be able to say that they have sold $200 million worth of, of product. But 
there's a very likely chance that you could say that that you've happened to save that over the last 20 years. I'm not saying that's the exact number. I'm just putting that as an example. So the cost saving gets you to, to the table, right? And from there, you seem to have grown an understanding and awareness of real issues that are global issues and local issues and helping businesses to be better. Maybe you can chat to us a bit about how you make business better and have been making business better over the last decade. Sure. So through the uh, the 70s and 80s, there was the uh, yeah, corporate social responsibility uh, wave. So organisations wanted to be seen to be doing good to enhance their um, share price. And were they? Uh, it was a, an intruistic uh, type uh, value. Uh, it, it did, I guess, create some value. Um, but I don't know if the intent was really there uh, from an out, outward perspective. Then through the uh, you know the 2000s and uh, and the the 2010s, there was more of a, a view of what is the real impact that we can have as corporations uh, and organisations, and so CSR has matured into um, sustainability and procurement sustainability, which is uh, my current role, and that really encapsulates uh, what we can do for the environment, for the social, and also still maintain the, uh, the financial uh, benefits as well. So. It, it does look at those three angles. What is the social? Yeah, and social is, is the big place that I sp- uh, play in. A lot of people are aware of the environmental impact, mm-hmm. um, you know, what we're doing to the earth and how we can improve that, and, and that's pretty mature, but the social side is, is fairly new and that's, that's emerging as a, a real wave of opportunity. And it's about, we still need to acquire and, and spend the, the money to get the goods and services, so that's function's not going to go away, but it's how do we create additional value on top of that? And having a social impact or a social outcome is when we look at minority uh, sectors of our uh, community or our environment and then address those. So in, it, it might be the creation of a job for a disabled person through a warehouse that we're buying goods and services from that through natural... Um, creation wouldn't have happened on its own so it's us, us influencing that supplier that it's a good idea to get a disabled person working in that warehouse to deliver our goods and services that's at the, you know, the micro impact um, it's also about looking at uh, for instance uh, Aboriginal businesses um, and how do we engage those and bring those into our supply chains so they in turn can grow they can create employment opportunities for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and also uh, grow their own sector and become a, uh, a prosperous, you know, vibrant sector, which is also sustainable. What does that mean to those people? Well, it means a lot. And I, I think you know, em- employment is one of those pillars that really can change an, an individual, can change a family and a community by people having worthwhile, meaningful jobs. Um, and it's not a case of... You know, there's a lot of organisations out there employing um, Aboriginal people because it's a target, so they want to meet that target. But I'm looking at the sustainable um, opportunity, and that's about creating jobs that, um, or creating career paths for those people. It's not just about getting their first job and then leaving them alone. It's how do we educate them, train them, and allow them to grow further. And, th- and that was, Glenn, that was exactly one of my next questions. You know, how do you educate? How, how does that happen? What's the process for that to happen? And it's not one single um, thing that, that you need to focus on. There's a whole raft of things. But when you look at uh, an Aboriginal business, for instance, 
as they grow, they are more inclined to employ Aboriginal people. So that's a that's one of the foundations. That's one of the base uh, elements. When those people do get those jobs, we need to encourage them to you know, go and get proper training. Um, that's meaningful for their current role, but also for their next role. There's a there's an often quoted saying that um, you know, there's a lot of well-trained Aboriginal people, but they can't get a job. So it's about creating the, the jobs in the first place and the opportunities and the career uh, paths. Um, so I, I try to focus on that and work with those um, Aboriginal businesses uh, to, to build them up so they can do that. So that's obviously working with the Aboriginal businesses yeah. um, to educate educate those people on, um, on, on bringing people through. How does it work with non-Aboriginal businesses, for instance? I mean... Are we are we missing that pocket of educating those those types of people in terms of this is what we can do how we do it? Yeah, that, that is a huge area. And for instance, in uh, construction, uh, which yeah. transport is heavily involved in, we have a a, a master um, contractor situation. So people like Len Lease and John Holland, they would be awarded the master contract. They in turn subcontract that out to a, a whole range of organisations. It's about getting into those uh, first tier or the master contractors right. and working with them to create um, what we call Aboriginal participation strategies, uh, which is a, a formal document uh, which shows their commitment and the opportunities that they can uh, put forward and then you know, uh, navigating those uh, Aboriginal businesses into those organisations through those paths. Interesting one. And oftentimes this is seen to be something which is done at... Uh, at as a loss to other businesses, right? But that's not necessarily the case whatsoever. What you, what it seems to be, you know, programs that you run is is not just trying to get more people into the market, but to be growing businesses, which in turn grows employment. Is that right? That's right. And at, at the at the base, where we're looking to grow Aboriginal business capability and capacity. Mm. Um, so it's a case of creating those opportunities, but also making sure they have the capability and the capacity to grow as the sector grows. The Aboriginal business sector is you know, the fastest growing sector in Australia. Really? Uh, I think it's at 23% uh, annual growth. Coming from an albeit low base, so yeah. that, that's true. But over the last 10 years, uh, there's been um, $10 billion, that's billion with a B, going back into the, the Aboriginal sector. Uh, that's substantial. Um, that has a flow-on effect for the whole of the economy because there's less reliance on social welfare. Mm. Um, so they, there's a statistic that says um, for every dollar spent in an Indigenous uh, economy, $4.41 is returned as social benefit. Wow. So that's removing people out of the social welfare cycle and, and just creating that, that opportunity uh, and less reliance on that. So that helps the overall economy as well. That affects everyone. I want to I I ask you this from a... From a from a new person looking at a career in procurement and, and figuring out the whys, right? So yeah. the questions that I'd be asking is, why would I join it? Why would I get into procurement? Why would I stay in procurement? And what's the real value that I can have? My mates might go and do something interesting and get to run around and do sales in Southeast Asia and get training all over the show and, and have an interesting life. But what's the interesting life about procurement and how does that lead to sustainability and making a big difference in the world? Yeah, one of the key things that I'm focusing on now is is creating that opportunity for young people to come in. And I don't want them sitting behind a desk, um, going through the nine stages of procurement and, and doing all the, 
what I consider boring or routine functions. I know that procurement has a, a great opportunity to, to have a, a huge impact um, both locally, uh, within the community, uh, statewide, nationwide, globally. Um, and everyone in procurement has an opportunity to uh, participate in that, that social good. It's a matter of how. And so as a senior uh, person in procurement now, part of my role is to create that opportunity for those people. Um, and that's addressing the procurement sustainability side. That's what is attractive in procurement. Yes, you can save you know, millions of dollars, and if that um, floats your boat, then that's great. You, you can do that, but you can also have an opportunity to, you know, to literally change the world. Glenn, you're obviously very passionate about educating um, yeah. and, and showing others the pathway. What is... Uh, obviously, we have SIPs in Australia, is that correct? Yes. What is that, and what's your involvement with SIPs? So SIPs is an acronym of uh, the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply Chain. It is a global organisation that is the voice of procurement. So it's our peak body. It's UK-based, but it has a global reach. Uh, there's over 200,000 people that are associated with that organisation now, either as uh, affiliates or members. And it is our organisation that gives letters. So there's a, a whole raft of organisations out there that do conferences and training. But SIPS um, issues letters, and, and there's acronyms like MSIPS, which is a, a, a member of SIPS, there's FSIPS, which is a fellow of SIPS, and there's also the chartered status. The chartered status means you have to undertake a, uh, an ethical sourcing uh, online test, as well as do uh, more than 30 hours of uh, professional development uh, training each year to maintain that. So for want of a better description, it's our license to operate. So if you have that, uh, any employer globally knows that you've reached a certain level and you've got that certification uh, so they can uh, rely on you to deliver ethically sourced uh, items through a, a proven process. There's a lot of power in ethical sourcing, sustainable procurement. You, you're mentioning some for good, and, and I think we should just revisit it for a second. Um, so, so one of the things that, that has become apparent to me is that more and more, you know, the, the workforce is getting younger, right? And one of the things that drives people isn't so much, hey, I don't want to go and hate my job every day, but hey, I want to go and do good every day. Yeah. And, and I think that there's quite a large space, which perhaps we haven't delved into enough here in terms of getting younger people into procurement as a career because it's a for good. As you just said, yeah, you can make all the savings in the world. And from a, from a, from a career perspective, that's really interesting because it's not often that you'll be able to have or manage $100 million at three years into a career, right? Yeah. But the other benefit, and maybe you can speak to it a little bit in terms of both SIPs and, and also your, your current business or organization, the other element is that it's for good, but I don't think people understand the why and how people are for good within procurement and what the ethical area of sourcing sustainability and social procurement actually is. Can you maybe give us a bit of clarification there? Yeah, it, it, it's a complicated um, scenario, Matt, where... People can take their, or bring their passion, they may have a passion for the environment, to you know, clean the oceans. Um, and, and they can contribute that you know, through foundations that do that directly or indirectly through their organisation by you know, focusing on, uh, for instance, biodegradable uh, packaging. Which, so, is, which is big at the moment, it's huge, right? It you is huge. At, I mean, well, 
Adidas are doing it with their trainers, and I think I saw an advert from Nike I've got there. Yep. First biodegradable from ocean plastic trainers. Yeah. Um, so people are, are getting along with it, just uh, not That's enough. Procurement's role, yeah. yeah. And, and, and so procurement can play a big role in that. As I say, you can bring your passion to procurement. Yes, you've still got to do and deliver the, the basic outputs, and, and that's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. We can't uh, lower that expectation, but you can take your passions and you can help talk to your stakeholders, who are the budget holders, whose money you're, you're spending on their behalf, to do things in a different way and to focus on the for good outcomes. Now, for instance, if your you know, passion is about improving the disability um, sector, then you can do that as well. And if it's about the Aboriginal business sector, you can do that. If it's about female-owned businesses, you can do that. So you can help drive those changes from a personal perspective and make your own individual contribution to the, the good outcome, uh, as well as bring your organisation and all those people associated with your organisation on that journey. Because people love hearing about those stories. You know, people want good social outcomes, they just don't know how to do it. And so procurement have that power to really bring that and, and deliver that. And also talk about it in, in showcasing and uh, you know, newsletters and, and other publications of what we're doing. Yeah, that, that's that's amazing. My question is, procurement, myself and Matt aren't procurement professionals, right? Um, but we talk to a lot, of you, a lot of your procurement professionals about what you do and how you do it and the impacts you can do. And it sounds amazing, right? And we're we're actively helping people to get into that, which is fantastic. Yeah. Why isn't there a queue of 10,000 people who actually want to go into procurement? I mean, the way that you're describing it to us and what you can achieve out of it, what you can learn when you're going into it, and the impact you can have globally and at a micro level if you want to have a look at, why, why isn't there a, a queue of 1,000 people who say, you know, I actually do want to get into procurement? straight from university you know I want to do my accounting degree because I know I can put accounting into procurement or my marketing into procurement or I'm doing a sales job and I want to get that into procurement why isn't that why isn't that not happening yeah and that is a great question we have um, in Australia a lack of um, undergraduate uh, pathways so we need to work on that and I know that SIPS is looking at uh, addressing that uh, working with some you know, top universities to build that um, opportunity. Um, we need to have these conversations and, yeah. and you know, expand further. It's done on an individual basis. It's also done a, a, across the sector. It's done through SIPs networking events. Whenever we have a platform, we have to be talking about the social good because, as I said before, the basics of procurement will never go away. Mm. We need to enhance what the good parts and what the developing and the emerging opportunities are of procurement. And that should be attracting people. You know, they should be able to hang their, uh, their, their hat or jacket or whatever it is onto that value mm-hmm. and align themselves with that opportunity. If, if, if we're listening to this as, as third-party observers or listeners, um, you know, the thing that I'm taking away from this, and it's not your only message and it's not, not the only thing that you want to talk about and, and I've heard you speak about, but the thing that I'm taking away is that... You can bring your passion to a business and the value add that you can make in terms of the greater picture is huge because at the end of the day, the person who's in charge of deciding that the uniforms that our company buys is made ethically in the right place from the right cotton, which is organic and doesn't you know, have, a, have an element of modern slavery or gender pay wage or child labor or any of that stuff, right? Yes. 
And the other thing that you're talking about here is, which is really interesting, and if, again, if I'm a third-party listener, I've been talking and thinking about it, is that you know, if I really do believe in whatever that might be, you know, helping disadvantaged communities to grow more jobs, helping disabled people to get into work and to create businesses, the person who's the gatekeeper is going to be your procurement person. And it seems to me, and it would be what I'm thinking, and if you're out there and you're thinking the same thing, you know where to get us, I'd be thinking that in procurement you have the ability to change things for that business much better than you would in a sales or a, I don't know, accounting type function. Um, and that's, that's consistent, right? Absolutely. Procurement is the, um, you know, the out-facing function of most organisations. People think sales organisations are, but they've got a different perspective. Mm. Procurement has a much wider open market sort of penetration. One of the things that I've been talking about during this pod is that uh, if you bring a procurement professional into your organisation, let's say you're doing $100 million and your EBITDA, your profit is $3 million, and you bring in the right person, they're going to save you a, a massive multiple of their salary, and maybe your profit goes up to $4 million, and that's a lot easier to save a million dollars oftentimes than it is to make a million dollars, right? Especially in the life cycle of businesses. So this is another a string to the bow here, just uh, just while we're talking about it. And I, I think it's something that really needs to be talked about a little bit more. If you want to catch Glenn, you can. He's on tour with Sips generally speaking out. Uh, but you can get him on LinkedIn. Glenn, double N, Johnston with a T. Randy Basra, Matthew Evans, you can get us on LinkedIn as well. Glenn, thank you so much for the time. There's more to be explored here. We'd love to probably have you back at some point. If you're a university and you were listening to this, again, reach out and have a conversation. Parting thoughts, Mr. Johnston? Well, as I said, uh, I'm out to help people create a, a change that's impactful and sustainable. Amazing. Yeah, procurement. You know, save, the, save businesses a shed load of money and... Um, take part in saving the world and making it a better place. Uh, And that's the whole point. Glenn, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Randy. Matt, we're out. We're out indeed. We'll come back to you with our thoughts on this pod a little bit later in the debrief. Thanks again for your time. Thanks for listening to us. Stay involved. We'll speak soon.